Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac Wayne heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play, and boom! On Yeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Thank you so much, Denise. Let's get to our guest. Max Lin is Asia FX and rate strategist at Credit Suisse, joining me in the Singapore studio. Uh, Max, let's start with the yen. I mean, pushing to this fresh 24-year low. This is on the divergence between uh, the US and Japan uh, policy action. And we're looking now at a level of 140. When do we see that and does that trigger intervention? I do think that the 140 level will break fairly soon. It's difficult to predict when. And I think overall the market sort of understands that fundamentally because the BOJ is not signaling any monetary tightening anytime soon and the Fed is on this uh, very steep rate hiking cycle that the yen should get weaker. The question for the market is whether or not the Ministry of Finance will make good on these threats to intervene. Uh, so obviously they don't want to test uh, the MOF, but I think eventually the carry flows will push dollar yen through 140 and that the Ministry of Finance will stick to Japan's G20 commitments and not uh, intervene. So it's just a matter of time of when the market can test that. Is there a pain point? Is 145 the, the absolute pain point here, do you think? I'm not sure if there's actually an absolute pain point. I think if you asked me six months ago or asked the Japanese consumer six months ago that dollar yen would be at 140, they would probably tell you absolutely not. So I think the way the, the Bank of Japan and the Ministry of Finance look at it is, how quickly does it move, right? Once we get to 140, you get to 142. If, you know, 145 looms on the horizon three to six months from now, that shouldn't be such a psychological shock given that we're already in the 140 range. It's not just uh, what we're seeing in currency markets, but also in the bond market on the back of that very hawkish uh, commentary that we had from Jay Powell last week. Benchmark Treasury yields up through 3.2%. We're also looking at that Eurozone inflation data too. How much, I guess, further pain do you see here in uh, some of these market moves? Well, we do think that the bond market should basically start pricing out or uh, not pricing in any sort of cuts in 2023. And that's what Mester and Powell and you know a whole slew of Fed speakers are basically arguing for. So I think until you start seeing some um, of the inversion in the U.S. curve going away, you're probably going to see further sell-offs uh, in the bond market and further dollar strength. Our Kathleen Hayes was at the Jackson Hole Symposium, and she sat down with the head of uh, the Bank of Korea. And I thought it was very telling, the fact that he said, you know, in a situation that we're in right now where the Fed is being very aggressive and the dollar is strong, that in the case of the BOK, they may have no choice 
but to raise interest rates as a way of defending a currency. Are more and more central bankers in Asia going to be confronted with this challenge? I do think so. And I think currency volatility is probably one reason that pushed uh, Bank Indonesia to hike rates unexpectedly last week. Uh, but even currency effects aside, I do think that the direction of travel for all of these economies, except for China, uh, in emerging markets were basically for higher rates to combat inflation. The BOK obviously cares about what the Fed does and what Dollar Korea is, but the BOK has been hiking for 12 months now, right? They moved before the Fed, they moved before a lot of central banks because they were more uh, alert about these inflationary effects uh, sooner than others. Well, let's talk about uh, China. It's about five minutes now until we get the PBOC fixed. Do you think we'll see it stronger for a seventh session? Uh, well, when you say stronger, I think it's important to clarify what stronger means. It's been stronger relative to the estimate, uh, but for the last week or so, it's still been weaker than the previous day's fixing. So in my view, the PBOC is allowing yuan weakness, but it's basically slowing that process. So for today's fix, it should be interesting because the model calculation is only actually 21 pips higher than previous. So there's no real need to adjust a stronger versus the calculation today. If they do choose to do so uh, for a seventh consecutive session, then it would probably suggest that 690 uh, is a short-term red line for the CNY fix. In my view, though, however, they're going to match the calculation. We'll see what happens. Are currency markets in any way reflecting some of the geopolitical risk that we talk about, whether it's U.S.-China, uh, Beijing-Taipei? I mean, are you seeing fund flows that, that maybe represent a bit of a haven trade? these days? Uh, I think in the short term, two weeks ago, uh, during Pelosi's visit to Taipei, you did see, uh, you know, those geopolitical headlines driving uh, dollar Taiwan and dollar CNH. But now I definitely think the market's kind of refocused away from those headlines and back on to fundamentals. We all know that China is slowing down. Uh, in terms of the Taiwan market today, you mentioned earlier that Taiwan equities are, are, are sharply lower. I think that has a lot to do with the fact that uh, the Korea export data probably showed a very weak chip shipments. And we all know that uh, China or Taiwan is hugely exposed to uh, semiconductor exports, and TSMC has already kind of warned that uh, it would be, uh, or customers are cutting some orders amid weaker demand. So obviously, I think those are the main headlines for dollar Taiwan. Max Juliet was talking about the PBOC uh, yesterday and the yuan, or the moments ago, I should say, and the yuan fixing. So now we have indications that China has set a stronger than expected fix for a seventh straight session. Give me your sense of what is operating in the minds of uh, PBOC officials right now as it relates to the currency. Sure. Well, I, I think overall that they're still kind of keep a longer term eye on CNY stability. And that's what we saw uh, before the August 15th MLF uh, rate cut in China, where it's basically range bound uh, between like 665 to 675. So now after these PBOC rate cuts uh, to the MLF and to the LPR, now we've gone from 675 to basically 690. So I think in the PBOC's view, maybe they think that's enough for now. Uh, but we still recommend uh, investors to hold a long dollar position against uh, the offshore you want, uh, because we think that the uneven growth characteristics of China's economy mean that at some point, either in you know mid-September, mid-October, mid-November, they could see another uh, monetary policy move uh, towards the downside, which should push dollar CNH higher. Those are always difficult to predict. So overall, I think that even though you have stability now, it's still a, a good position to hold. And a large part of this is the economy, the recovery from COVID. If we continue to see these very strict uh, border controls, and that means Chinese tourists aren't traveling, you're looking at long dollar against baht as well. Tell us why. Sure. Well, th before COVID, uh, Chinese tourists basically accounted for 27% of the total tourist arrivals in 
uh, Thailand. And now that's basically zero because, as you said, COVID zero means there's basically no outbound travel uh, from China to Thailand. So even though you're seeing some recovery in other markets uh, for tourists, you know, tourists from the U.S., tourists from Europe, going back to Thailand, tourists from ASEAN, uh, but you're still going to have this massive excess capacity for tourism in Thailand. So they're going to want to keep policy loose. The Bank of Thailand said as much yesterday. And I think that from their perspective, they think a weaker bot uh, kind of helps usher in those tourism inflows. So we expect uh, the bot to weaken further. I actually initiated a trade idea three weeks ago, and it, now it's at 36.6, which is my target. But based on the BOT comments recently, I do think that there's further upside towards, you know, uh, 37, 37.5. We were talking about the yield differential story a short while ago. Is there What is the house view at Credit Suisse on the inflation story? Well, from a strategy perspective, we think that inflation is much stickier than uh, what the market wants to believe. And we think that the Fed officials are actually starting to recognize this now. But there's kind of still this belief in markets that, you know, there is a Fed put, that the Fed is targeting uh, the stock market, that the Fed is targeting financial markets. And because inflation is so high and so entrenched, it doesn't really sound like the Fed is too concerned with a, a hard landing these days, right? Um, Mester basically said as much, you know, if you have a recession, uh, in the U.S., that's not necessarily a reason to, to lower rates because the Fed is mostly focused on inflation. And Powell also said, you know, there will be some pain uh, for businesses and households uh, in his Jackson Hole remarks. So to us, that means that the Fed understands that inflation is now sticky. Uh, it's just a matter of when the market will understand that. If we have parity for euro dollar, where do we see moves uh, changing from that if you're going to see the ECB have a 75 basis point rate hike? Sure. Well, I think if the ECB does kind of hike uh, 75 basis points, obviously the market's going to be debating that after all these you know, hawkish comments by uh, Nagel and some of the other ECB officials. I think that it's probably not going to break far below parity in the next two to three weeks. But I think thereafter, you still have to focus on the overall hawkish message of the Fed versus uh, the ECBs. We have to remember that the Fed is still also debating a 75 versus 50 basis point move at the September FOMC meeting. And the Fed has already hiked uh, many magnitudes more than the ECB has prior to this. And, you know, the carry differential in the dollar uh, versus the euro is already still quite high. And that's not going to reverse uh, no matter how hawkish the ECB is. So I do think that overall the euro dollar should still uh, head lower, and our medium term target for the year end is 97 cents. Max, I can give you 20 seconds for your best trade right now in the foreign exchange market. Uh, I think long dollar CNH is a, is a good trade these days because even with this stronger fix, uh, you haven't seen dollar CNH kind of go back below the 684 to 685 level. It, it's have, it has trouble breaking below 690. So in the event of dollar weakness, in the event of a weak payrolls miss, I do think that dollar CNH will still be uh, sta stable and that mm -hmm. you can still get, basically collect the upside uh, for the future rate All cut. Right. 6491 at the moment. Max Lane, Asia FX and Rates Strategist Credit Suisse in our Singapore studio. This is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth, and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? 
listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Jiffy Lube, it's our job to make car care make sense. That's why we offer personalized service reviews that swap car talk for straight talk, so you know what your car is telling you and what to do about it. Putting you in the driver's seat of car care, that's a job for Jiffy. Visit JiffyLube.com to find a service center near you. When it comes to your business, standing out from the crowd is everything. Having the right trade show partner makes a big difference in your brand success. Trust ModDisplays.com for all your portable trade show display needs. Every project is assigned a display specialist, an in-house designer, and is provided a free 3D rendering to ensure your order goes smoothly and is delivered on time. Use code IHEARTMOD on your order and get 10% off today at ModDisplays.com. ModDisplays.com. Trade show displays kept simple. Simple.